it is no secret to those of you that know me well, I am an introvert. I'm an introvert. I draw energy. I create energy. I recharge and refuel by being alone. Now, there's a difference between introverts and extroverts. Introver now, there's some people who say, oh, I'm an introvert, but really they just hate people. <laughs> That's not introversion. That's not introversion, okay? <laughs> Introverts are energized. They gain energy. They're fueled up. They're like, Whoa, ready to go after they've had time to be by themselves. Extroverts, extroverts are totally different. Extroverts often marry introverts. Yes, that's how that works. <laughs> and so extroverts, extroverts need to be around other people in order to recharge, in order to refuel. Okay, and that's perfectly captured by this meme from Toy Story. People, people everywhere. Buzz Lightyear is excited and Woody is terrified. There's introversion and extroversion, okay? I'm curious, of the people in this room, would you introverts, if you know for sure you're an introvert, would you stand for a moment? Yeah. I know, because church is awkward. <laughs> wow, okay. So you may be seated. Extroverts, did you notice how you're outnumbered here? Generations Community Church needs you. You're here for a reason. <laughs> you're here for a reason. Now, when COVID hit in 2020, in March, and the government shut everything down, introverts were excited. Introverts were excited because they thought to themselves, I'm going to get to stay home in my PJs, and it's the law. Yes. Yes, they were so excited. Jenny and I, over the course of the first year and a half of COVID, we streamed The Mandalorian, NCIS twice, and Madam Secretary. But I got to be honest with you, after the second month of that two-week lockdown, <laughs> I was done. I was just done. Even though I'm an introvert, I felt isolated. I felt unsettled. I felt anxious, and I'm not normally an anxious person. And I say that as an introvert. As a pastor, it was killing me because I saw y'all on Zoom, and we had our own Zoom, you know, whew, terror moment. Um, I, I saw you on Zoom, but it wasn't the same as sitting across the table at a coffee shop. And I wasn't in your presence. And so um, it really unsettled me because um, I didn't know how you were doing where you were, and I couldn't get a sense of what was going on here in your heart through a screen, okay? The irony of today in 2023 is that far too many Americans now are choosing streaming over people, okay? Far too many Americans are choosing streaming over people. We go home, we're tired, we've been with people all day at school or at work, and those people have been peopley, Josh, they have been so peopley. Um, and so we stream something. You can have a family of four, and if those kids are tweens and teens, every person can be in a different room streaming or gaming something different on a different device. That's the new reality. So in other words, watching TV isn't even a communal activity anymore. <laughs> it's a strange thing. Now, because you feel a bit uh, anxious or overwhelmed or tired, 
you're gonna be tempted to plop down in front of a screen for some downtime. That's the temptation, but here's the reality. Streaming or gaming is not gonna re-energize you. After four hours of binge watching on Netflix or gaming, you don't stand up out of that couch and go, whoa, I'm ready to take on the world. No one ever says that, <laughs> okay? In fact, uh, streaming or gaming will not calm your mind. It won't allow you to hear your heart and it won't allow you to hear God's voice. Streaming or gaming in excess, like alcohol, is a way to cope with reality in a way that's just not healthy. And so today, I have a simple bottom line, a simple big idea. Please, I beg of you, choose people over streaming. Just one more time. <laughs> just one more time. Choose people over streaming. People over streaming. People over streaming. We need each other, and we need to be together. And so I want to be in two passages today. One is from Hebrews, and the other passage is from the Gospel of John. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following, um, the author has this to say. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way that threw the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And let us hold tightly, without wavering, to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So Hebrews is a letter about how Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the system of priests and sacrifices. Jesus is just better. And that's the whole letter of Hebrews. One argument after another, one paragraph after another, Jesus is better. And this little section is about perseverance, hanging in there, okay? The author knows that life is hard. Life has unexpected twists and turns, disappointments and tragedies. And he wants his readers he wants the hearers of this letter to finish well. And so that's verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, in light of the fact that you've been made right with Christ, in light of the fact that you're now an heir to the Son, in light of the fact that you're now reconciled, in light of that, go into God's presence. Go without wavering, holding on to the hope. That's aklesane. Uh, that, that means that which does not bend easily, okay? In other words, do you wanna be consistent? Do you want to be consistent in drawing near to God? Do you want to be consistent in holding on to the hope? Do you want to be consistent in loving your spouse or your family? Then encourage one another and do not neglect the meeting together. So the consistency, the perseverance is linked to this, this our meeting together. And there's a Greek word, and I've taught it before, it's episunagogain in addition to the synagogue. Now, Baptist pastors love, I'm gonna pick on Baptist because I was a Baptist for a long time. Baptist pastors like to use this uh, verse here in Hebrews to mean don't skip church. See, it says it right there. 
No, 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 no. It's the epi-sunagongen. It's the getting together that's in addition to the synagogue. It's the what was happening in Acts chapter 2 when they were in each other's homes daily. That's what he's talking about. Don't neglect the epi-sunagogen. The epi-sunagogen, okay? Um, F.F. Bruce says that this verse doesn't refer to church meetings. It's the being together with brothers and sisters so that you can hold tightly to the hope. Now, this meeting together is not life-transforming worship. Sorry, Don. This meeting together is not life-transforming worship. This meeting together is not eminently practical Bible teaching. This meeting together is so that people can what? Encourage one another. I'm going to tell you right now, it's really hard to encourage one another in this room, in this setting, with the chairs set up this way. Can you encourage each other really well in this setting? No. You're facing forward. There's somebody talking at you. Like the whole dynamic of the room is set up to prevent encouraging one another. <laughs> okay? And yet the writer of Hebrews says it's absolutely critical. As Sky Jathani writes in his book, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious About Church?, he says this, it's the arm around a shoulder, praying together with tears. Let me help you carry that burden kind of gathering. That's what the meeting together so that we can encourage one another is. Why does this matter? Why is this important? Because sometimes in your life, you're going to be a Philip. And sometimes in your life, you're going to be a Nathaniel. And Philip's and Nathaniel's need each other. That takes us to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 43 and following. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, said Philip. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, said Nathanael. I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under that fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. And I would add, brother. Then he said, I will tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man uh, and the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Okay? So if I can go back to these uh, verses a little bit at, at a time. So Philip from Bethsaida um, has a friend named Nathaniel from Canaan. Now, this gets a little confusing. So if you read the Gospels regular, regularly, Nathaniel and Bartholomew, Bar I can't say Bartholomew, I can't say it really well, but Nathaniel and Bartholomew, that's the same guy. So y'all know me as Max, but my mother calls me Mark because that's the name she gave me when I was born. Max is a nickname I picked up along the way, so I'm both Max and Mark. Bartholomew and Nathaniel, same guy, okay? So, but Nathaniel and Philip, they know each other. Now, one of the peculiarities is that um, there's a little bit of rivalry 
say, between Cana and Nazareth, like Louisville and Lexington. Everybody in Kentucky wears blue, and then there's a small little circle around Louisville where they wear red. And if you don't know what that means, talk to me after the service, okay? So, like, there's a thing. There's a little bit of a rivalry. And they saw Nazareth as kind of the backwaters, the way we might, in this area of Kentucky, if somebody were to come in and say, hey, I'm from Wolf County or McCreary County, and you'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm, I live down in the holler. Like, we might think of that as the backwaters of Kentucky, for better or worse, right? And so... That's what's going on in this passage. Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel believes that Jesus is a born and bred Nazarene, and he thinks to himself, no, the Moses and the prophets spoke about the, he's going to come from the house of David and not Nazareth. I'm not an idiot. Jesus can't be the one. Now, the irony here is Nathaniel doesn't yet know the real facts about Jesus' birth. And so that's where we continue on in verses 47 and following. A true Israelite, Jesus calls him, a true Israelite. That's, that wasn't someone who had perfect obedience or perfect knowledge. It was simply, it referred to someone who was devoted to God. They were seriously trying to seek God out. A true Israelite. And Jesus sees in Nathanael an honest seeker. Apparently, Nathanael was doing some thinking under that tree, under that fig tree. Why am I here? Am I happy? Where do I fit in? Where do I belong? Do the people around me really care about me? And Nathaniel is surprised that Jesus knows he's been kicking the tires about life. Jesus does that, by the way. He unmasks us and exposes us for who we really are. And Nathaniel doesn't quite know what to make of it. And that's this interchange in verses uh, 49 and following. Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel, you're the one. Philip was right after all. I should have listened to him. <laughs> he told me I should come and see you. And Jesus tells Nathaniel something even more amazing. He's the fulfillment of Jacob's wrestling with God that's recorded in Genesis 28. So there's this moment where Jacob is wrestling with God, uh, Genesis 28, verses 10 and following. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from earth going down to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I'm, and said, the Lord, I am the Lord, the uh, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, and they'll spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you, and I'll protect you wherever you go. One day, I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've finished giving you everything I promised. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord's in this place. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place it is. Um, and the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took, a stead, uh, he took the stone he had rested his head against and set it up as a memorial pillar and placed olive oil over it. So Jesus is saying in this passage, he's now the ladder. He's the gateway to God. He is this connecting point, right? And uh, he's the fulfillment of everything that God has promised, okay? 
Uh, Jacob, by the way, named that place Bethel, the house of God, and it became one of the great sanctuaries of ancient Israel. And Jesus is saying, I am Bethel. I'm the place where you encounter God, where you meet God. I'm the stairway to heaven. If you follow me, Nathaniel, you'll see heaven and earth open up before your eyes. I say all that to say this. Isn't Nathaniel lucky to have had a friend like Philip? Isn't Nathaniel lucky to have had a friend like Philip? Philip had encountered Jesus, figured out this is the one we've been waiting for, went and got his friend Nathaniel and was like, you got to come and see. You got to come and see. I'm telling you, you got to come and see. And Nathaniel went and saw. Sometimes you and I are Nathaniel, and we need a friend to take us to Jesus. Sometimes you and I are Philip because we're taking a friend to Jesus. That's how life unfolds for all of us. So in light of what we're commanded in scripture, do not forsake the you know, meeting together of one another, in light of the fact of what we see in Philip and Nathaniel, let me ask a few questions. Who encourages you to trust Jesus regularly? Who in your life right now encourages you to trust Jesus regularly? And then who are the people in your life right now that matter the most? When are you with them? And then lastly, who would you like to get to know a little better? Who would you like to get to know a little better? If my big idea today is choose people over streaming, I have some practical advice. So now you've heard what the Bible has to say about this. In light of that, um, in light of that, let me offer some practical suggestions. One, eat one meal a day with other people. Again, those of you that read The Common Rule will recognize this from Justin Early's book. Eat one meal a day with other people. It can be the school lunchroom, the staff break room, the, a family dinner. There's a reason that the earliest symbol of Christianity was the table. Because at the table, Jews and Gentiles who hated each other came together to become this new family. One of the peculiar things that happened in the first century that we Americans would have done if we had been running things, in the first century when there was that conflict in Acts 6 between the Jewish widows and Gentile widows, we would have said, oh, simple problem, simple solution. All you Jewish widows, you have your own Jewish congregation, and we'll put the Greek widows over here, and they'll have their own separate congregation, and everybody will think it'll be great, and it'll be different. And no, that wasn't satisfactory to the early church. They had to be in the same church. They had to be in the same fellowship, okay? So eat one meal a day with other people. Um, if you're single, if you live alone, start with two meals a week. Two meals a week. But eat a meal a day with other people. Uh, second way to take this home, have one hour of conversation a week with a family member or a friend. This can be in person, on the phone, through a video call, one hour of conversation a week. Third, create space in your calendar and home and then invite people in. Um, I got to see for all of four minutes, Burley and Holly Law yesterday, who were dropping off my saxophone that I had lent their son for the past three years, because I want to join a band again, okay? So, so I get my saxophone, and, I, and I, they're in the car, and there's, 
we want to be together, but they've got to hit the road. <laughs> and that relationship was forged, gosh, 30 years ago, because my wife and Holly decided that every Thursday they were going to make dinner together. They, we each had one kid at that time, toddlers, into everything. And so they would, one week, Jenny would go to Holly's house and they would make dinner together. The other week, Holly would come to our house and they would make dinner together. And I'm going to tell you when I'm introverted, I like order over chaos. There's all these things about my personality. I would walk in the front door. It was chaos. Toys were everywhere. Um, Caleb and John Mark had taken every toy imaginable and then decided, well, this is dumb. I'm not playing with this. What else can we take out? And so there were toys everywhere. There was food everywhere, dishes everywhere. And it was chaos. But as a result of doing that consistently for two years straight, I changed my will so that if Jenny and I were to die, guess who the kids would go to? Holly and Burley Law, people that were part of our church family, not blood relatives, but just family, something stronger than relatives, right? As a result of just every Thursday night, breaking bread together, okay? Um, are you married? One thing that you could consider is... Um, Couch time or bedtime, 10 minutes on the couch or in bed at the end of the day to process the day. How was your day? What are the things that you felt today? Is there anything about the day that was a win for you? What was it? What are you most proud of today? What broke your heart today? Um, if you got kids, when they're little, three times a week, tuck them into bed. Not just with a story that you read from one of those cardboard books, but a story from your own childhood. How did you feel when you were four or eight? What happened to you? What's another thing in your family? Because I found that little kids are always curious. When you start talking about what it was like for you as a kid, they're like, what, what? That happened to you, daddy? That happened to you, mommy? Like, they're curious and interested, okay? Um, if you got teens, one of the best ways to have conversations with them is in the car on the way somewhere because they can't get out of the car. <laughs> they can't get out of the car. They can't escape. So ask them to take out those earbuds and you've got 10, 20 minutes, however it longs to take to have that conversation in the car. Um, my youngest child will complain bitterly to you about how she has gotten all the lessons of U.S. history from dad in the car on the way to school, to West Jesmond Middle School and West Jesmond High School, okay? Create space in your calendar and your home and invite people in. Um, Carol Hall, for many years, uh, before she became a travel nurse, would invite uh, other teenagers and whatnot to go along to go shopping at the Amish store. Jill would come home with the weirdest stuff ever, but it was a social experiment. We're grocery shopping together. Josh, you're uh, lifting weights now with Robbie, right? What day is leg day? <laughs> okay, right? These are the things that we can do with one another. And I would encourage you to look around this church family, among other places. Um, church family is why I'm no longer a Baptist. In the Baptist church that Jenny and I were a part of, Dr. And, uh, Dr. and Mrs. Webster, Warren and Shirley Webster, just came alongside us. They were in their 60s then. I thought they were ancient. <laughs> Not so much anymore. Um, both of them have gone home to be with the Lord. But there was this moment in the Baptist church, and it was crazy, and there was conflict, and everybody was mad at each other. 
because we were gonna spend like a million dollars to add 20 seats to the sanctuary, but put this giant facade so that you could see it from the street. And I just, I had issues with that and how the money was being spent. And I remember about the fourth conversation I had with Dr. Webster, he goes, look, you're young. This is my church family. I'm not going anywhere. Come hell or high water, this, this is my family. But you're young and you're starting out and this isn't interfacing with you. You and Jenny should find some place that's spending its dollars maybe a little bit more kingdom-minded. And I want to give you permission to do that. And I want you to know it's not a bad thing. And Shirley and I are going to continue to love you and support you no matter where you are. And just giving me permission, like, we're here today because I walked out of, right? <laughs> like, and that's Dr. Webster. So things happen in church families. Things happen in church families, okay? Um, but this is a good place to look. Choose people over streaming, uh, people over streaming, ah, that's last week's. Uh, people over streaming, people over streaming, people over streaming. Now, if I can talk to those of you younger than say age 30 for a moment. So if you're a teenager or you're younger than age 30, what you're gonna remember 20 years from now is what happens in person. You are not gonna remember the things you watched together or gamed together. You're gonna remember the in-person things you did together 20 years from now. So when I was in high school, I had a really good friend named Shelly. I thought I would love for Shelly to be my girlfriend and Shelly was like, no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> okay, so we, I stayed in what's called the friend zone, okay? But Shelly was helping me with, I can't remember what subject now. I think it was some kind of weird math like trigonometry or geometry or something with, you know, Harry Potter stuff in it. <laughs> and so I went over to Shelly's house for her to help me with this assignment that I was struggling with. And I'm sitting there and with her and there's just the smell of dog poo is filling the room. And it's just, it gets to the point where it's just onerous and bothersome. And finally, she's like, you know, Mark, what do you, you know, what, what is going on? Like this is, and I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. And we keep talking about it and take talking about it. And finally she says to me, well, how did you come to the house? And I said, well, I walked through your yard. And she goes, oh, look at your shoes. Take one of the shoes off and there it is. <laughs> the smell. I was the offending person. All the blood drained out of my face and I was so mortally embarrassed. I remember that moment right now today. I remember that moment. Okay, this is how memories are forged and created, okay? Uh, many of you at Generations have given me the privilege of having a front row seat to your life, your struggles, your failures, your dreams, your hopes. Um, and at the moment, I wanna say this about our church family. We don't have a dud in the mix right now. We don't have a dud in the mix right now. Um, every single one of you has an incredible story uh, and a lot to offer. Collectively, you are smart, funny, brave, imperfect, slightly nerdy, although surprisingly sporty. <laughs> you have a lot to offer each other. And so I beg and implore you to at least one more time than not, choose people over streaming. This Nathaniel and Philip that Jesus called to be his early disciples, of these two people and several more, he has this to say at the end of his public ministry, and it's in John chapter 15. He says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Jesus confided in them. 
Now you are my friends. That's what Jesus says of them. Okay? Um, I want to pray for us, and I'm going to invite our musicians to come up. And during this song, as we sing, I encourage you to make some decisions. Like, this is a good space and chance. If you're like, you know what? Oh, yeah, okay, I've been streaming a little bit more than I should. Okay, you know, who's somebody that you want to see? What's something that you want to do about it? This is the week to make a decision and take some action about it.